Well, it is good to have you on this Sunday morning worshiping with us either on campus or online. I have a question for you this morning, uh, and, and it's uh, maybe a personal question, but, but I want to invite you to consider it, okay? Uh, the, the question is this, what are you passionate about? I mean, what are you really passionate about? What, what is it that, like, when you see something like that, it just, it just makes you really, really want to be involved? Now, I, I know it's summertime, um, and I'm normally, this time of year, I, I'm a huge, lifelong St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. But this year, we're so bad that like my friends are tweeting out things like, I'm taking a sabbatical from Cardinals baseball because I just can't handle losing to the Cubs over the weekend, you know? Uh, maybe it's something beyond a sports. Maybe, maybe it's music for you. Maybe when, when music begins to play, there's just something inside of you that, that makes you really, really passionate. Or maybe it's a, it's a cause. It, it, it's something that, that you really, really believe in. And, and whenever that topic comes up, whenever that cause becomes apparent, that there's just something inside of you that, that just resonates, and you're, you're really, really passionate about that particular item. I, I ask you that this morning because, because we're going to look at a story from Scripture that talks about what is the most passionate thing that followers of Jesus can experience. And in fact, for some of us as Christians, we kind of get lulled to sleep by the routines. If, if the last year has done anything, it has broken all the routines. If the last year has accomplished anything positive, one of the positive things it's accomplished is it's allowed people to, to rethink what are their passions, what are their priorities. I've talked with a couple of different people who are saying to me things like, you know, when I had to quarantine and I had to figure out a new way to work from home or when I got sick and, and I got COVID and I, I had to stay home and, and my family had to like slide the food under the door just so I could be isolated from them, that something inside of me just began to ask myself the question, why am I here? What, what's important to me? What, what's really important in my life? And the story that I want to tell you from the life of the Apostle Paul is, is a story about how the Apostle Paul discovered what was really, really important to him. And he demonstrates in this story how we can live our lives focused on Jesus Christ, who is who is supposed to be, from all of our confessions of faith, the, the things that we just sang. He's the way, the truth, the life. I believe. I love that song, by the way, when it talks about the fact that all my doubts and fears, they're welcome here because they can't stay long in the presence of Jesus. All the anxiety, all the, all the things that the world presses in on me, those things can't stay when I, when I get my passion aligned in the correct fashion. And so, let me tell you the story. You know, if you've been with us over the last few months, that, that we've been following the journey of the Apostle Paul. You know, as we've talked over the last few weeks, that he had this pattern of always 
of, of always getting, um, how should we say, removed from a city, <laughs> sometimes politely, sometimes not so politely, that he faced opposition in all of these places. And, and where we left the story last week was these brothers and sisters in Berea who were more noble than the people in the synagogue in Thessalonica, uh, they, they found a way to get, to get Paul out of Berea when the people from Thessalonica came chasing after him, when his past came after him. And if you've read the story, you know that, that they got him out secretly and they took him to Athens, but they left they left Silas and Timothy in Berea so that, they could, so that they could mentor, so that they could speak truth, speak life into the new church in Berea. And so when, when Paul is in Athens, he's there by himself. And, and this story is the story of how he rediscovers, how he reengages his passion. You see... Athens was a, a great, great city. At one time, it was the economic and, and cultural capital of the world. But when the Greco-Roman Empire, when the, when the Greek Empire was conquered by the Roman Empire, and now you suddenly have this city full of, of temples and statues and culture and art. For some of you, some of you have been to Athens, Greece. You, you know that, that it's a beautiful, beautiful city, and the architecture is thousands of years old. And, and this was a place, a, a great cultural center, even in the first century, but, but it was 500 years after Aristotle. It was 500 years after Plato. It was 500 years later that, that Paul is walking the streets of Athens, and, and it's still a great cultural center because the Romans had this philosophy that even though they conquered you, they would let you keep your heritage. And, and as they did that in Athens, they, the people of Athens continued to hold a very high opinion of themselves, but the reality was it was no longer the city it used to be. Um, it was no longer the, the place of creativity that it had once been. But instead, it was a place. It was a place where, where people were all about the cultural ideas. They were all about having the discussions. In fact, Luke tells us, and we'll read the words in just a few moments, but, but he tells us that, that, that all they wanted to do in Athens in those days, they thought life involved just discussing the ideas. And so here you have Paul. This Jewish man from Tarsus, who is a Roman citizen and also a Jewish Pharisee, and now an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's walking around this city. He's walking around Athens by himself, waiting on his company to join him. And as he's walking through the city, as he's looking at the people, something, something happens in Paul. Oh, what the English Standard Version says happens is that he was provoked. He was provoked by the fact that, that he saw all of these idols to all of these different gods, and he heard all of this discussion about all of these ideas about how to live, and he watched people wasting away 
not understanding what he knew because you see, as a, as a Jewish man, he had been raised to understand there is one God and one God only. And there is no idol that can encompass the God of the universe who created everything. He had read the Psalms. Maybe you've read them too, where the psalmist talks about the fact that, that idols can't speak and idols can't hear. They're, they're images made out of wood and stone by human hands. And as Paul walked around this city, this place where everybody wanted to share their opinion, where everybody wanted to discuss their philosophy, where, where everybody wanted to worship the, the philosophy and the God that they had, and they wanted to argue about it in a pluralism, in a, in a diversity that, that had no unity in the middle of it, something inside of Paul just ignited. And that, that word in the English standard version, provoked, it doesn't even really fully capture what went on. You see, when Paul saw all those people, all those people who were, who were struggling but didn't know they were struggling, all those people who, who had all these ideas and, and thought that the answer was in the discussion of the ideas and, and you do you and I'll do me and, and we'll, just, we'll just have our truth, my, our own truth, but we'll, we'll, we'll just let each other be. Something inside of Paul snapped. And, and, and what Luke is trying to tell us when he uses the word provoked is that, is that what it did was it ignited his passion. It ignited Paul's passion to tell people who Jesus really was, who Jesus really is. That those idols, that those images, that those temples that human hands had created, that those ideas that human minds had created, that, that all of those different philosophies that, that human beings had come together and said, you know what, we can agree on these, they pale in comparison to the truth of who God is. They pale in comparison to the truth of who Jesus is. Because you see, Paul had... Paul had been a man who was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Paul had been a man who was trained in the Roman law. He was a man who understood the ideas. He was not some, some hayseed farmer from the backwoods. Uh, no, no, no. This was a cosmopolitan, intellectual, educated man who had discovered that in all the education, in all the culture, in all the ideas, there was something missing. And the only way you could find the truth was to meet Jesus. Now, as I tell you that story, some of you are going, well, that, that's, that's nice, Pastor. Why, why are you telling us this story? Because, friends, you live in Athens. I... No, no, I, really. Right now in the 21st century, whether you live here in the United States or whether you live in Asia or whether you live in Europe or whether you live in Canada or whether you live on the Samoan Islands, I don't care where you live, you're living in Athens right now. And the question for the hour is whether or not you and I who have met Jesus Christ will have the same reaction to the Athens we're living in that Paul had to the Athens he encountered. 
will the spiritual condition of the people around us provoke us? Will the spiritual condition of the people around us move us to tell them about the biblical Jesus? Or will we just simply say, well, you know what? I don't want to be offensive. I have no right. Those are my ideas. You are free to have your own ideas. No, will I, will I, have, will I have enough of an understanding that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. By the way, those are his own words about himself to his closest disciples. You see, if you say there's another way to, Je- to God besides Jesus, you're calling Jesus a liar. And if you said that Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life, if you said that Jesus is going to be in control of your life, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then you have to believe that what he said is true. And what he said was, I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be rude. I get it. I get it. I understand that part of the hesitation in our Athens is because there have been some people who have, who have used the gospel as a ball bat to hit people over the head. I'm not talking about going on a militaristic mission to, to take people out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about standing on the street corner with a big cross and a Bible that's bigger than your head and, and looking at people and saying, hey, you're going to, to, to hell if you, don't, if you don't turn to Jesus. I remember living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which, by the way, was affectionately known as the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And someone had on, a, on an overpass had spray-painted the words, turn or burn. And I'm thinking, that is no way to tell people that Jesus died for their sins. But that's how many in our culture have done it. And that's why, that's why in the church today there's a, there's a hesitancy among us to declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So my question for you about where your passion lies is really this question. Are you passionate enough about Jesus to look at the people around you, to see their spiritual condition, to see their brokenness, to see their emptiness, to see the the things they're chasing after, the idols they are worshiping are, are not worth worshiping, that those ways lead to destruction? That those ways lead to pain. That those ways lead to suffering. Oh, I know, even as followers of Jesus, we will have pain and we will encounter suffering because we live in a fallen world. But there is a way through the suffering that Jesus provides for us. And there's a way of suffering that has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with our choices. You see, Paul walked the streets of Athens and you're walking the streets of your Athens. And the question is, will your spirit, will your passion be ignited? And if it's ignited, will it, will it lead you to, to do what Paul did? Listen as I read for you from Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, 
His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What happened was this. When he was provoked within himself, he then began to to engage the people around him, the people whose spiritual condition he cared so deeply about. And as he did that, then some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who had 500 years of philosophy behind them, they came to him and conversed with him. And some said, what what does this babbler wish to say? Uh, Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And and they took hold of Paul and they they brought him to the Areopagus, which which was the, the large court area in the city. It was a huge city market filled with with all types of places when people would basically sit around and and tell one another their philosophies and debate and and let people hear their opinions. Sounds kind of like Twitter, huh? Sounds kind of like Instagram, huh? Sounds kind of like Facebook rants today. And what was going on is that, is that as, as they are talking, they now bring Paul into it saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. You see, my friends, when when the spiritual condition of the people around you provokes you into a place where now suddenly it's your passion to let them know the love of Jesus that you have experienced. See, it's not about you being on your on your gospel horse with your gospel gun to go get all the people converted to your way of thinking. That's not what Paul was doing. He didn't do this out of some kind of self-centered, egotistical, religious fervor. No, no, he did this out of a genuine concern, a genuine passion for people who are dying without truth and without life. Because you see, Paul understood He understood that even people who are cultured, even people who are educated, even people who are wrapped up in all the things of this world still need Jesus. Did you notice what it said he was preaching? What caused the curiosity from the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers? It was the the understanding that that this teaching of Jesus and the resurrection was new to them. They weren't used to a divinity, a God who would, who would come and live among us and who would take our sins upon himself and die on a cross and be the sacrifice that we couldn't be for ourselves. They weren't used to hearing those kinds of thoughts. They weren't used to dealing with that kind of truth. And that's exactly what Paul was sharing with them. And when he did, when he began to share that with them, then something inside of them Something inside of them clicked. And they're like, you know what? We want to know more. See, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced 
that if, if we have a passion for the people around us, if we have a passion for the spiritual condition of the people around us, and we love them well enough, and we live Jesus well enough in front of them, that there's going to be a moment, a moment when somebody says to you or to me, hey, what is it that makes you live like that? I was in a conversation this week with some of our summer interns. Uh, throughout the summer, they meet with each of our staff, and, and this week, a couple of them were meeting with me, and, and it's, it's one of those free-for-all things, right, where I come, they come in my office, and I look and say, what questions do you have for me? What do you want to know from the senior pastor? What, what do you, and and the, the questions vary from summer to summer, but I love the question I was asked this, this summer. First time in all the years we've had interns, and we've had interns for the entire time I've been here at Eastside. It's the first time anybody ever asked me this question. Hey, Carrie, what's your 30-second speech to tell people who Jesus is? If you just had 30 seconds, what, uh, in the business community, they would talk about, what's your elevator speech? What is it that would, that would let somebody know? What, what's your way of saying to somebody, you got 30 seconds, Pastor, tell me, how would you tell somebody about Jesus? I love that question. Because I've actually thought about that. See, I have an answer for that question. I'm not going to share it with you because I want you to come up with your own. Okay, all right, I'll tell you mine. See, mine is this. There is a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son. His only son. To die for you to offer you a chance to live forever, and that is truth. And I'd be glad to tell you more about him if you've got questions. You see, friend, you need a speech like that. You don't need that speech. That's mine. But you need to find one. Because if the spiritual condition about, of the people around you begins to provoke you, to move you, then, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you in a position where you have to, you have to share with them. And here's, here's what you need to know. When you get to that spot, then, then it's at that moment that you have to adopt the same method that the Apostle Paul adopted. See, the method is simply this, that you have to meet those people exactly where they are. You have to meet them where they are using their concepts. You have to meet them where they are using the ways they think. Look at what Paul does. Listen to this speech, to this Areopagus, these people who are, who are always asking questions and trying to learn something new. So Paul, verse 20 of Acts chapter 17, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men, and by the way, ladies, please forgive the masculine language of this, but but." but it's inclusive in our culture. But in Athens, it would have been the men to whom he had to speak. I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by humans, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all humanity life and breath and everything. 
And he made from one person every nation of humanity to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of humanity. The the times of ignorance, God overlooked that. But now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What did Paul do? He he took their philosophy. In fact, the quotes that he has, that we live and move and have our being in him, the, the quote that he has about, for we are all his offspring, those aren't from the Old Testament. Those are actually from the, the Greco-Roman world of philosophy. As one of your own poets have said. See, what, what Paul did was he, he had such a passion for people that he didn't have his own agenda to go and, and just beat them with it. No, no, he had such a passion for the people that he actually he actually learned their language. And in learning their language, he figured out how to meet them, how to tell them that what they were looking for made no sense because their own philosophers talked about the fact that in him we live and move and have our being. Their own philosophers said, hey, you know what? We, we are his offspring. Well, if we are his offspring, shouldn't, shouldn't we bear a resemblance to him? So why are we building idols made out of stone with mouths but they can't talk? Why are we building temples to deities that have no divine power? And while you're listening to that and you go, hey, well, pastor, I understand. Those are days gone by. No, no, listen to me. The people all around you are building the same kind of temples right now. In fact, I would even tell you there are some within the religious order of the Protestant churches who are building idols to themselves. Because you see, that's the greatest idol of all. The greatest idol of all is is self-worship. The the greatest idol of all is me. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. Every time you see people who are falling away from their relationship with God, it's because they have decided to take control of their life themselves. They've decided to choose who to worship instead of responding to the God who created us. And so this morning, I, I just... I just want to ask you, do do you know the unknown God? Do do, do you know, do you worship the God who made you in his image? 
Do you know the biblical Jesus? I don't mean the cultural Jesus. I don't mean the Jesus that looks like you, talks like you, votes like you, spends money like you. I don't mean that Jesus. No, no, no. I mean the one the New Testament tells us about. The one, the one who told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you love your neighbor as yourself, then suddenly this focus shifts from in here to out there. And it's all guided from up there. You see, that's what really provoked Paul in Athens. And I would suggest that's what should move us. But the message, the message should always be the same mercy message of Jesus, regardless of the reaction of the people. Uh, Paul had this amazing opportunity to stand in front of people who were seeking, in front of people who were questioning. And he had a chance to say anything he could say. And what he did was he considered them and he chose a method of understanding the way they thought. And then he told them about Jesus. When I was a young pastor in my first church, I went to visit a a pastor friend. I was new in town. He was an older minister. His church had everything I wanted for my church. Everything that we want. I wanted a gym for our church. He had one. I wanted a daycare for our church. He had one. I, I, wanted, I wanted a ministry where, where it, it, was, it was making a difference in the community. And John Manning and Jones Memorial United Methodist Church in Eastridge, Tennessee had all of that. And one day I stopped by his office to talk. And um, I, as a young pastor, I looked at him and I said, John, tell me, you've been in this community for years and years. You're respected. Tell me why you do what you do. He said, Carrie, let me tell you something. I had an early mentor in my life who said, John, you know what? I love your sermons, man. You're a good communicator. He said, I don't preach quite as well as you do. But John, I'm going to let you know something. I can win more people to Jesus on the dance floor than you can in the sanctuary. And I'm a good old Church of God boy. We didn't even dance when I was growing up. In fact, that was a big ruckus at my house, whether my parents were going to let me go to the high school prom. They did. I'm not sure what I did is technically dancing, but I tried. I mean, when you've never done it till you're 17, you're kind of like, whoa, what's all this? But I sat in that pastor's office, and I said, tell me more what you mean, John. He said, Carrie, you've got to be where people are. If you want to win them to Jesus, If your spirit, your passion is one to let them meet the Jesus of the Bible, look where Jesus went. 
can go where Jesus went. So this morning, I, I just want to ask you, where's your passion? As we're coming out of COVID-19, as we're coming out of this whole this whole cultural shift and, and it's been a massive shift. I told you a few weeks ago, 25% of the people in this country will shift jobs in the, this year, in 2021. Major, major shifts going on. And the question is, will we, as the people of God, be so concerned about the spiritual condition of the people around us that we're willing to, to tell them, meet them exactly where they are with this biblical Jesus who died on a cross, was resurrected on the third day. And when we stay focused on that message, because that's what Paul did. Look at the results. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked you're going to get mocked if you do this. Just warning you. Not everybody's going to go, oh, wow. But others said, we will hear you again about this. Some of them, you have to keep having a conversation. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And in Paul's world, that was worth it. In Paul's world, and in the world of those who are passionate about Jesus, every person matters. So what are you passionate about? summer of 2021. Can you hear Paul saying to you, I know something you don't know. There are people who want to know Jesus. So my question is, what are you passionate about?